0: Bullseye with Jesse Thorne is a production of MaximumFun.org and is distributed by NPR.
1: It's Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. Our guest this week is actor Alex Winter. He's interviewed by Carrie Poppy, co-host of Maximum Fun's own podcast, Oh No, Ross and Carrie. Alex Winter is probably best known for his role as the time-traveling teenager Bill S. Preston Esquire in the iconic Bill and Ted movies from the late 1980s and early 1990s. I mean, if you are listening to this and you are within the right age cohort, they are intimately familiar to you. These two dudes, Bill and Ted, travel back in time to meet historical figures like Abraham Lincoln, Billy the Kid, and Socrates for their high school history presentation. Then, in the sequel, they go to heaven and hell, then, of course, give death a wedgie in an elaborate Ingmar Bergman parody. Obviously, these are silly movies. What makes them work, though, is the chemistry and the palpable friendship between Bill and Ted. These are two dudes who could not be more thrilled to be best friends with each other. And with the way that Alex and Keanu Reeves portray them, you really believe it. After the success of the Bill and Ted movies, Keanu Reeves went on to be, you know, Keanu Reeves. But Alex Winter stepped away from acting and transitioned into work behind the scenes. He's directed documentaries about the deep web, about the music industry. He did a biography of Frank Zappa. His most recent film is Showbiz Kids. The movie features interviews with some of Hollywood's most recognizable former child stars. It's a complex and nuanced piece of work that looks at the human cost for child actors, featuring interviews with former child stars like Mara Wilson, Will Wheaton, and Evan Rachel Wood. It's also a very personal film for Alex, who was a child star himself. Anyway, you probably heard this, but Alex is back as Bill. He and Keanu teamed up to star in Bill & Ted Face the Music, which is available to rent or buy on a bunch of different platforms. In their latest adventure, Bill and Ted are given a task. Write and record a song in 78 minutes. The song must save all life on Earth and the entire galaxy. Time travel and shredding ensue, naturally. Let's hear a clip from the new film. Now in middle-aged life, Bill and Ted are visited by a mysterious woman in a time-traveling pod named Kelly. In this clip, Kelly played by our pal Kristen Shaw, has come to convince Bill and Ted to travel to the future with her. Greetings,
2: my excellent friends.
1: Do we know you?
2: I'm Kelly. Wait, you're Rufus's daughter. I am, and I've been wanting to meet you my whole life. It must be very disappointing. Not at all. We have a problem, gentlemen. Potentially a very serious problem. About the music? about the music they just want to talk to you dude i got a very bad feeling about this it'll be fine ted they totally love us in the future dude
0: alex winter welcome to bullseye
2: thank you thanks so much
0: it's it's so exciting to be talking to you i've been watching these movies since i was a kid the first one came out when i was six this one is is such a fun film, and it's loyal to the first two without sort of retreading old ground too much. And I wondered what you see as different in the message of this movie versus the first two.
2: I think there was a lot of effort put into digging into who these guys would be in adulthood and well into adulthood as fathers to pretty well-grown daughters and very close with their wives and very uh happy with their personal lives but kind of at odds with where they fit in the world and and what their fate was supposed to be and what has actually transpired and so i think the the message is a little different in in that it's it's a little bit more connected to to where bill and ted are in their lives and and it's got a more grounded set of obstacles that that then collide with an incredibly (laughs) non-grounded set of obstacles (laughs) in in typical Bill and Ted fashion. That's what kind of sets up all the movies is these kind of regular guys in these ridiculous circumstances.
0: Right. Yeah. Uh, Were there any tropes, sequel tropes that you were on the lookout for when you were making this?
2: We wanted to avoid the film feeling like a rehash. We wanted it to avoid feeling like a reboot. We wanted it to live in a world between the previous movies and something that would stand entirely on its own. Mm. And we were also very cautious about not wanting it to feel like a handoff movie that this is just, you know, we were just showing up to turn the whole adventure over to the next generation down. Mm. And we felt that way thematically, not just uh, structurally. We just felt that, you know, this film for all of us, uh, and especially Chris Matheson and Solomon, the writers who who created this idea and brought it to Keanu and myself, I think they felt very strongly that uh, that really be about multi generations coming together and sort of community and family branching out to a wider community, and not uh, a movie about like we're old now, so you take the reins. <laughs>
0: <laughs> right. Right. I'm glad you brought up those two, the screenwriters, because they invented these characters when they were kids, right?
2: Well, to some degree, yes. I mean, they were in college. Uh, they met at in college out, out here in Los Angeles, and they were in film school, and they were workshopping these two guys mostly as like a stand-up routine. Uh, they would sort of take it out to coffee shops and, and do it at friends' houses, and it became – something that then evolved into a first draft. And I think it was Chris Matheson's father was the esteemed writer Richard Matheson who suggested to them that they actually take this thing and make a movie out of it. And they were young and and we were all very young. We all embarked on a journey together, all of us quite young and not quite knowing what we were doing, which was part of the fun, I think.
0: Yeah, definitely. So I'm kind of curious, as someone who's not a professional actor, Who does the character belong to then? Once it's on the page, you haven't acted it yet. Is there sort of a, I don't know, like a a push and pull about who this, who has the final say on who this character is? Uh, not
2: generally, and I deal with this a lot from the directing standpoint. And I kind of, I mean, I have a whole thing about this in terms of the auteur theory and and who makes these things anyway. Mm. And I came up out of theater. I started quite young, and and I worked on Broadway for many many years. And that's a very collaborative world, mm. you know, because you're you're doing these these shows every single night, eight shows a week in real time. So everyone has to have everyone else's back. And I I Keanu had come up doing theater too, and and we're pretty collaborative by nature. And you know, while we were trained, we we weren't neither of us were really acting in a vacuum and and we were very open to the director's ideas and the writer's ideas, and they were very open to our ideas. So the films have been very collaborative all the way through. And that that worked the same with the third one, which had a lot of the same people had come back. Scott Kruve, who produced the the previous two, and Ed and Chris and Dean Pariseau, the director, was on for several years before it got made. So we all had a lot of time to talk stuff through. And when we started shooting, we were all working on the script. I mean, all of us. There was a Mm -hmm. huge deference to Chris and Ed, and and Ed was there the whole shoot and very, very involved. But Keanu and I would work together on our dialogue every weekend, um, all weekend, frankly. Oh, wow. And uh, and come back to the next week's work with a lot of stuff. And it wasn't rewriting – Their script so much as just, you know, sharpening emotional arc or logic or things like that and and figuring out a way in and showing it to Ed and to Dean and seeing what they thought and they would weigh in. So the films are very collaborative. They kind of always have been. Ed and Chris and Keanu and I are always pointing the finger at each other over who owns the characters.
0: They're
2: they're always saying it's us. We're always saying it's them. (laughs) So I don't know. I really don't.
0: Yeah. Uh, so I always think of the actor as kind of having the final say about what's actually going on in that character's head, because you were sort of the last person handling it by living in it. So at least in your opinion, what's Bill's interstate like? Does he have a defining emotional condition or life philosophy? What's it? What's it like in that head?
2: Yeah, I, mean, I have a lot of, I have a lot of thought on that. A lot of which you know, doesn't and shouldn't make it to the screen, just floating around, rattling around in my head as I work. Mm-hmm. And Keanu and I talk about this stuff a lot. We talked a lot, especially for well, that's we really have on all three. Um, talked about our life circumstances and our past and, you know, what our our mothers are never on screen. And mm. we thought about that a lot when we were younger and we made Bill and Ted one and two and who were our moms and where were they and what was up with our relationships with our fathers and, you know, what, what kind of, you know, had pain had these guys endured when they were younger, that had kind of manifested in a way that turned them into who they were as they got older. And that backstory was really helpful to us moving into three, because we really didn't want to play these guys as cartoon characters. We really wanted to imbue them with, with a lot of life experience. And, you know, it's, they're a little, they've, You know, this movie—they're they're impacted by the world. They're not oblivious to it. Mm -hmm. Bill has always been a little bit more of the eternal optimist than Ted. Um, You know, Bill will sort of drive into headlong into a circumstance with the best will in the world. Ted will be a little more wary. Uh, and mm, a little bit mm-hmm. more expectant of not necessarily a fantastic result, but very happy when there is, is a good result. Um, yeah. Which is, which is very Keanu in this role. It's not <laughs> how he is off screen, but it's very funny to watch him do that thing. So we really, we wanted to play with that in this film as well. And and But but the stakes were way higher for us emotionally. And I'm only telling you this because you ask. A lot of this stuff is, is, you know, no one will watch the movie and have any idea what I'm talking about. Which is, <laughs> which which is good believe me and we're not making terms of endearment but it was fun to play it was fun to play finding ourselves at this age with some disappointment and some fear about our future and how do Bill and Ted respond to that given who they are
0: yeah i would also say that it reads that bill is fundamentally optimistic and i, I wondered as i was watching it what's it like to play someone who's so optimistic you know now that you've you've been on this planet a few more decades than when you first created the character. Is it hard to maintain that optimism in such an authentic way?
2: It isn't. There's a there's a part of my personality that is that way, despite on you know just like anyone in life having had some pretty intense things happen. And the, mm-hmm. and Keanu and I uh, became really close friends on the audition process from the the first audition and you know, it's been talked about, so I don't mind talking about it, but we both had had fairly intense childhoods. So we didn't come to Bill and Ted as these doe-eyed, you know, fundamentally optimistic guys. We had had some stuff happen to Mm. us already in a pretty significant way. And so both playing those characters and then finding that joy within ourselves to play the characters was very satisfying. Mm. Um, And we really enjoyed each other's company and we made each other laugh but I think we also both enjoyed putting on the clothes and just disappearing into Bill and Ted land. And and so that was that was something that I enjoyed coming back to for this one was was I believe that Bill was was someone who whatever has happened to them, uh, he's aware of the, the pain of what's going on. But he really does believe that everything's going to end up OK
0: hmm. Yeah, he's optimistic, but he's also smart in this way. That's sort of unexpected. I feel like you both play these characters to the top of their intelligence. And uh, yeah, I, I guess I also feel like they couldn't be immoral if they wanted to. They're kind of almost compelled to do the right thing all the time. Is that how you see it?
2: I see the guys as moral. I don't see them as preachy or, or, or even you know ideologues. They're, they don't mm-hmm. have the sophistication for that. Mm-hmm. But I do see them as moral. And I do see them as having a, a – that both of them have a kind of a faith in each other and in the world through that relationship of friendship. And that's something that we both played on when we first met. I was drawing on childhood. I had had some extremely close childhood friendships, as everyone has. And we really lived in this imaginative universe when we were like eight, nine, 10, 11 years old. It was very hard to get us out of that universe. Mm. And, you know, we were strong together and then we faced the world sort of in unison. And that's something that I really love about what I think, I do think Keanu and I kind of brought to these characters, even in the early audition days, was we were just playing them like the very, very best friend you ever had when you were a kid. <laughs> and you just soldiered whatever hardships you were dealing with. And there were some, you soldiered them together and and faced the world together with a with a, a sense of optimism and morality. And and uh, we really wanted to keep that for for playing them as adults. And you know, Chris and Ed I thought did a really good job of creating a Family that even though these movies are so heightened, it has a believability. Uh, The daughters as heightened as they are are believable and the wives as as heightened as they are are believable. And Mm -hmm. you can kind of you kind of go, oh, yeah, I kind
1: of see how this works as a a family.
0: Oh, totally.
1: Even more with Alex Winter up ahead. His most famous character is, of course, Bill S. Preston, Esquire. And here's something that our interviewer Carrie always wondered. What does the S stand for? The answer, believe it or not, comes after the break. It's Bullseye from MaximumFun.org and NPR. Support for Bullseye and the following message come from Green Chef. Green Chef is a USDA-certified organic meal kit, offering plans for every lifestyle, including paleo, plant-powered, keto, and balanced living. With Green Chef, everything is hand-picked and delivered right to your door, so meal planning, grocery shopping, and prep is done week after week. Go to greenchef.com bullseye80 and use code bullseye80 to get $80 off your first month.
0: Hey, Jay Keith. Hey,
1: Helen. Hey, you've got another true-false quiz for me?
0: Yep. Our trivia podcast, Go Fact Yourself, used to be in front of a live audience.
1: True. Turns out that's not so safe anymore.
0: Correct. Next. Unfortunately, this means we can no longer record the show. False. The show still comes out every first
1: and third Friday of the month.
0: Finally, we still have great celebrity guests answering trivia about things they love on every episode of Go Fact Yourself.
1: Definitely true.
0: And for bonus points, name some of them.
2: Recently, we've had Ophira Eisenberg, plus tons of surprise
1: experts like Yardley Smith and Suzanne Summers.
0: Perfect score. woo You can hear Go Fact Yourself every first and third Friday of the month with all the great guests and trivia that we've always had. And if you don't listen, well, then you can Go Fact Yourself.
1: That's the name of our podcast.
0: Correct. woo I'm Guy Raz, and on NPR's How I Built This, how a simple splash of color accidentally launched Sandy Chilowich into a 40-year career as a designer, entrepreneur, and creator of the now-famous Chilowich placemat. Subscriber, listen now.
1: Welcome back to Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. Our guest is Alex Winter. You probably know him best as Bill from Bill & Ted. Along with Keanu Reeves, he starred in Bill & Ted's Excellent Adventure, Bill & Ted's Bogus Journey, and the brand new movie, Bill & Ted Face the Music. Alex is also a director who's made several documentaries. His latest just came out a couple months ago. It's called Showbiz Kids. It features interviews with former child stars about how their time working in the entertainment industry affected them. Let's get back to the conversation.
0: There's a lot in this, in this movie also about parenthood and the, you know, the ties that bind there, and in particular, how children kind of actualize the dreams of their parents in some ways for good and bad. I saw that theme also in uh, Showbiz Kids, your documentary. That made me wonder if you saw a parallel there. Do you you find that particularly compelling?
2: You know, I was raised... By two artists. Uh, my parents were modern dancers. My mom had a company in London, which is where I was born. And my dad ultimately had a company in the Midwest, uh, which is still going um, when we moved to the States when I was quite young. I started out as a child actor uh, professionally by like nine or 10. I was working professionally by 12, 13. I was in two long running Broadway shows back and back, took me all the way into, into college. So th- my relationship to My parents and to my family, and the complexity of that, and this idea of I wouldn't call it destiny because that's the sort of grandiosity of of the movies that we made, but, (laughs) but you know, this idea of expectation and what is your life supposed to be? And of course, it's never going to be that, and it shouldn't be that. And, uh, and how do the children affect the parents? How do the parents affect the children? And of course, now I'm a dad. And so how now it's a a triple layer cake, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, those are all those strands are fusing together in crazy ways. And I had really wanted to make a film that allowed people who had experienced this firsthand, meaning people who had come up as child actors, I wanted them to be able to express the very nuanced uh, layers of, of that experience intimately. And I just had not seen that done. And I hadn't, Um, you know, obviously I had done it myself in private, but I'd never kind of attacked it publicly. So,
1: Hmm.
2: you know, that was very satisfying to be able to make. And it was really odd to be, because I tried to make Showbiz Kids for the first time about 10 years ago and I couldn't find financing. and It was exactly the same concept. So it was very, very strange to, and lovely, but strange to start making the film, shoot a bunch of interviews, go away, make Bill and Ted, be dealing with, You know Ted's problems with his dad, and our issues with our daughters (laughs) and our wives, and our destiny that didn't end up the way it was supposed to, and how did that impact everybody? And you know, and then of course, like acting for the first time again, because I left the acting business, and after doing Bill and Ted too, really, and uh, very consciously, and so I'm acting again, and I'm making a movie about child actors and about parents and their children, and. It was. It was like, oh, did this all really need to happen at once? Was that necessary? <laughs> you know? mm, yeah. Oh my gosh! So I have to process every aspect of my entire life, like right now. Okay, I guess I do. <laughs> so uh, yeah, it was lovely and uh, heavy.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, <laughs> frankly.
0: Yeah, tell me about that decision to kind of. Dis- I think you said disappear for a minute and then come back and be doing more behind the scenes work than uh, acting.
2: I mean, well, we talk about it in, in showbiz kids and it's really not uncommon. It's, it's, uh, you know, I'd started acting, I had a very, very public life from around 10 years old to about 25, uh, nonstop, even through college, I was still acting and on TV and doing commercials and TV shows and nonstop. And after Bill and Ted too, and I made another film called freaked, I was just psychologically, I was just worn out mm. and I knew that I was not, I had some friends around me that were crashing hard. I had a couple that actually died. It was a pretty heavy scene hmm. for a lot of us that had come up. Cause we were all around the same age. So a lot of us that were trying to transition from, from, you know, sort of youth in the business to young adult in the business. were not having the best time of it. And, hmm. um, and at the same time I'd gone to film school and was very, very committed to my work as a writer director and, um, but it, it, you know, for me, I I needed to make a conscious decision to get out of the public eye and just go live some normal life. And mm. I didn't feel like I'd really gotten to do that through pretty formative, you, you know, adolescence and post adolescence. Right. And uh, I mean, Evan Rachel, Wood speaks about this really well in the in the movie. So does Will Wheaton. I mean, actually, they all, they, everyone had the same experience. I was sitting across from Diana Carey, the. 100-year-old woman who was baby Peggy and she literally laid out my entire life story it was completely jaw dropping <laughs> and that's what had happened to her you know and she had to really figure her life out and she had to get away from the business and and just be in the world and that's what I did i left la i left my acting representation and i moved and i started a production company in london and i just shot commercials and wrote scripts and had a kid and lived like a regular mm. joe and got my head together and did some growing up. And when I felt comfortable again, I started training again to act. That was a while ago. I just wanted to act for myself. I didn't want to act, didn't have to worry about it for a paycheck. Um, And I trained for a long time. And it was just coincidentally, Bill and Ted then started to kind of rumble back into life. But it was really lovely. It was a great way to come back. Keanu and I, he's like one of my very, very dearest and closest friends in the world. And Everyone on that set was family. And if they weren't, they were really gracious and very happy to be there. So it was an extremely sweet environment to step back into. But uh, yeah, it was fun. But I'm, I am uh, i guess I needed the 25-year break because I, uh, I took it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> My guest this week is Alex Winter. Alex is probably best known for his role as the time-traveling teenager Bill S. Preston Esquire in the iconic Bill and Ted movies from the late 80s and early 90s. These days, Alex is an accomplished director, and his most recent film is a documentary called Showbiz Kids. Showbiz Kids features interviews with some of Hollywood's most recognizable former child stars and examines the upsides and the downsides of young fame. In this clip, actor and former child star Evan Rachel Wood talks about how as a child she felt immense pressure from the adults around her to continue acting even when she was unsure about her own desire to act. There was a part of me that just really wanted to play and it was really apparent early on that you would get in trouble if you wanted to play. It would be very disappointing to people if I didn't want to do this because I was talented. I just at a very young age, I guess, connected to something and was able to communicate through this medium in a way that if I didn't want to pursue it, the vibe was, what a, f- what a waste. Like, what a waste. I can't believe you won't, you won't do this. You won't pursue this. You're so good at it. And so I didn't feel like I could stop because I was good. So I just did it. Mm. It feels like one of the, the themes of this movie is that there really is no such thing as wasted potential. Whatever we want to be is good enough. Is that kind of what you wanted to relay with it?
2: There are a lot of ideas that I wanted to, to try to convey. Certainly no central theme, mm. but other than, um, and I didn't really want to ram this down anyone's throats, but other than the, the humanity of these people and the frailty of childhood which obviously is not specific to child actors. Mm-hmm. And I was really interested in the universality of these experiences beyond just child actors and into the world of, of every child, especially in Western culture, given the pressures that are put on everybody in Western culture, but especially mm-hmm. kids because of their, their frailty. So yeah, I think that that The that that idea, sort of as you stated it, um, the way I had thought of it was that you end up really – there's a lot of – there's a kind of an aggressive – a feeling that you have to aggressively keep moving all the time. And you have to aggressively keep improving all the time. And you have to – I mean, the one thing that Evan said right around this spot that really hit me between the eyes when I was doing the interview – was she said, you know, she, cause I, Evan was one of those people who I thought actually had, you know, you, you don't really don't know when you walk into these things. I thought Evan's going to give me that great. I just, I just shouldered my way through this whole thing and came out great. Interview, oh, right. You know? And, uh, and she had that one statement about, you know, coming up and just, and just how, you know, she had great parents and great management and great representation and great people around her, but no one had ever asked her if she was okay. Mm-hmm. And that was 100% my story. And I had, it's one of those things, Mar Wilson, I talked about it. Like you, it's such an isolating experience that you really think no one else has experienced what you experienced. And it's very liberating when you discover that everyone has experienced what you experienced. And um, so, yes, I feel like, you know, kids in this world aren't uh, allowed even by accident, oftentimes, to just in a very subtle, nuanced way, develop as who they are, whatever that's going to be. Mm. And I don't think it's done intentionally a lot of the times. I don't think it's it's uh, completely fatal, I mean, to your actualization, not to you as a, in, in your life. People can make it through those periods and get well and have fantastic careers and fantastic lives. It's not always a disaster. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, I do believe... That you don't come out of it unscathed. I don't believe you or your family come out of it unscathed. Mm.
0: Yeah, it seemed like you made a deliberate decision to make sure there were people in this who could speak to the good parts of being a child actor. so it wasn't just this you know one note uh, or you know this this downer representation of child acting that there were people who clearly just had mostly a great time. Uh, did you seek that out intentionally or did that just happen?
2: It just kind of happened the the I was and I kind of always look for interviews like this and in, in all my docs unless It's a very specific reason why not. um I generally tend towards finding people who are going to be first and foremost willing to speak and speak honestly mm-hmm. people who feel they have a story to tell, which is on them in a sense to to you know in terms of when they respond to to my request to to talk to them, and then people who have some grip, some rational and articulate grip on their circumstances or their narrative. Even if I don't agree with it, which you, you know, and this isn't a case, this doc wasn't a case in point, but there have been there are several times I'm sitting across from someone thinking they're either lying or I really fundamentally don't agree with their worldview. But mm. th- it's a great interview and it's and it's purposeful for the narrative. And in this case, I was really looking for people who I felt not necessarily were okay, but it had really processed what they'd been through and would be able to speak to it emotionally and honestly. Um, And that was what I sought.
0: Yeah. I think that this film and also your film Deep Web have an element of of arguing for nuance, that there isn't all good or all bad to anything that we... <laughs> Anything in life, really? Yeah. You know, whether yeah. it's the deep internet or child actors who we often talk about as if their experiences are entirely fabricated and negative. That no, there are there are upsides to all these things.
2: There are, and also life is hard for everyone. And I and you know I felt really grateful for the life that I was able to build, despite some really intense early challenges and that to me is a, is a primarily an, an incredibly positive story for myself so i did walk into these interviews regardless of whether i agreed with everyone or their story was identical to mine and i had an enormous amount of of empathy for these people and also i wanted to convey uh their humanity to people that you know it's it's these aren't freaks and and they are you know, human beings who were just little kids, just like any other little kid, and they had to deal with this world in this
0: way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, Well, before we let you go, Alex, I've got to ask, did we ever figure out what the S is for in Bill's (laughs) name?
2: (laughs) I think Ed told me it was Stanley, but they may have been messing with me. So I don't even know for sure. But I believe when I I asked them on Bill and Ted one, Ed's answer was Stanley. (laughs)
0: <laughs> okay, what do you think when you're living inside his head? See, I'm saying you're the only one who knows.
2: <laughs> yeah, I I I have a different name for that um, than than Stanley, which did not seem like something that Bill's family would have uh, would have done. What is it? I it's actually my 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 real life brother's name, Stephen.
0: Oh, okay, Bill Stephen.
2: Yeah, mm. it's just more it's more grounded.
0: It's a little bumpy, Bill Stephen.
2: Well, I'm not William Stephen. It. Okay. Yeah, it's William Stephen. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. I don't have that's to say true. it to anyone. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> and when you're walking down the street, what do people shout at you? It seems like there are so many different lines people could shout from the Bill and Ted movies. What do you hear the most?
2: I mean, I get, I absolutely get them all. I've had people slide up to me on their knees playing air guitar. I've had, you know, entire <laughs> chunks of dialogue from both movies recited to me verbatim. Um, I've had little kids get just mangle the lines and get them horribly wrong. It's incredibly (laughs) cute. I mean, you name it. The the thing I will say is it's, it's, you know, having been saddled with this amongst sort of the rest of one's life, it's a pretty joyful character. And so the fans tend to be pretty sweet. Hmm. And that's a really nice thing. And, you know, you can be known for playing villains and they're not as nice to you. So Mm -hmm. uh, I was walking down the street with Alan Alan Rickman once and and someone came up to to him. And this is probably pre-Harry Potter because they were busting on him for Die Hard. And and they kind of they sort of sneered at him and like and gave me a hug, you know, and he was like, (laughs) he was like, you lucky sod, my fans hate me. And I was like, well, (laughs) you know, (laughs)
0: should have thought it through.
2: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> Alex Winter, thank you so much for being on Eye.
1: Yeah, thank you. Alex Winter, interviewed by our friend Carrie Poppy. Bill and Ted Face the Music is available to rent or buy right now on a bunch of different platforms. His documentary, Showbiz Kids, is streaming now on HBO as well, if you want to check that out. Our thanks to Carrie Poppy for conducting that interview. Carrie co-hosts the podcast Oh No, Ross and Carrie, where she and her co-host Ross Blotcher Investigate spiritual, paranormal, and religious ideas, often getting a lot more than they bargained for. Like for a while, they joined Scientology. They became members and took classes and everything. I, I love Ono Ross and Carrie, and uh, uh, Carrie and Ross are, are a delight. That's the end of another episode of Bullseye. Bullseye is produced from the homes of me and the staff of Maximum Fun in and around greater Los Angeles. California where our coworker Kira just installed fun disco lights in her bedroom and now all of her video conferences totally rule the show is produced by speaking into microphones our producer is Kevin Ferguson Jesus Ambrosio and Jordan Cowling are our associate producers we get help from Casey O'Brien our interstitial music is by Dan Wally also known as DJW our theme song is by the go team thanks to them and their label Memphis industries for letting us use it You can keep up with the show on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Just search for Bullseye with Jesse Thorne. I'm on Twitter at Jesse Thorne. I think that's about it. Just remember, all great radio hosts have a signature sign-off.
0: Bullseye with Jesse Thorne is a production of MaximumFun.org and is distributed by NPR.